Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Well, good morning again, and uh, I tell you what, as the new guy, it is exciting to see all the work that's gone on the last few weeks with VBS preparation. Your, your team works hard, your staff works hard, and you work hard because I uh, can't do it without you. So thank you so much for all that's happened over the last few weeks. It's exciting to see, and it's very exciting to uh, anticipate what's going to be happening uh, over this next week as the kids are grown in their faith or come to faith. And so please do be faithful to be in prayer uh, for our kids. Well, in case you didn't know this, or this might be new information, or some of you are aware, uh, God has uh, allowed us to grow our family. Thanks, Daniel. God has allowed us to grow our family through the, the beauty and the gift of adoption. And uh, all three of our kids, uh, their names have some sort of a touch point with our faith in Christ. And so uh, our oldest, um, our son Cruz, um, the first and foremost reason we named him Cruz was just because it was cool sounding. It's like, ooh, that's a cool sounding name, right? And I spent years of my childhood in Santa Cruz growing up. And so there was kind of an emotional touch point with Santa Cruz and cool name. But also in Spanish, all my Spanish speakers, it means what? Cross. And so there was kind of a touch point to our faith with our oldest son's name. Uh, our daughter, Isabel, uh, that was my grandmother's name. So there's a special namesake there. I was very close to my grandma. And so there's a namesake there with my grandma. But also um, Elizabeth, um, Isabel is the Spanish and the French and the English version of Elizabeth, which in the Hebrew is Elisheba, which is um, God's my oath. And so it's, it has roots in the, biblical, um, in, in the biblical Hebrew, and her middle name is Grace, just really honoring God's grace in our life. And then there's faith. And faith, um, we knew when we stared at an international adoption and just a whole other level of resources that would be needed and the time that it would take to go through the adoption process, it was four years uh, to go through that process, um, we just knew that the name Faith was very appropriate because we were going to have to trust God for every dime that we were going to have to raise and every day we were going to have to wait. And so we just, we named her Faith as a reminder of the value of that. And so I love that all three of their names have some sort of a touch point with our faith. But we use that word faith all the time. But do we know what it means? And how do you distinguish between kind of a shallow, superficial faith and a real faith, a true faith? Like how do they look different from one another? And so uh, faith is believing something is true and then acting on the belief. Let me just say that again. Faith is believing that something's true, but it doesn't stop there. You have to act upon that faith. And so today, we're going to look at that. And I think what's most important when we talk about faith is recognizing that your faith is only as strong as the object of your faith. And so as followers of Christ, our, our faith is in the living God. Our, our faith is in the one who, who created and made everything and sovereignly rules over it. And, and who looked at us at our condition of brokenness and rebellion and sin and brought a solution in the most intimate, personal way by providing his son to bridge the gap through his death on the cross and through his resurrection from the grave. And so Christ is the object of our faith. But unfortunately, we can kind of detour from that. And we start to put our faith in people. Who's in office? 
of our nation, um, the, the, the boss, the employees, there's other people. Uh, the biggest mistake we often make is we put faith in ourselves. you know? Uh, we don't make great saviors, just in case you didn't know that, all right? Um, and so the object of your faith determines really how strong your faith is. But when we talk about a faith in the Lord, how do you know it's a true faith? How do you know what's real? And so today we're going to look at some of the qualities of true faith. And our guide is going to be this book in the Old Testament of the Bible called Joshua. We started it last week when we kicked off uh, this summer series called He Said. Now it might sound like an interesting name, but it captures the reality that what God says he will do, he will do. And when you look at the book of Joshua, what we're seeing is a leader named Joshua and the people of Israel are acting in faith that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. We talked about this last week, that uh, the, the people of God were at their greatest and their strongest when they acted upon that belief, and they were at their weakest and worst when they were not. And so this is a people group that were operating by faith in God, that what he was saying to them at the time and what he said to his ancestors could be counted on. And when we look at the book of Joshua, the verse that we talked about last week that best summarizes the entire book of Joshua is Joshua 21, 45, which says, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. And so we see that God is the main character. Even though the name uh, of the book is Joshua, Joshua's not the main character. Joshua's, Joshua's God is the main character. And so that's why we're coming after this book with this understanding of this is, what about, this is about what God has said. And we can believe in what he has said. So if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back, uh, watch, and kind of pick up where you left off. Also, I gave you a challenge last week. I said uh, one of the best ways to prepare for the message on Sunday is to read in advance what we're going to read. Uh, we provided a tool for you. There's a little bookmark out um, in the middle, if you want a hard copy, you can take this bookmark. It tells you the chapter, and the Sunday we're going to be teaching on that chapter. Um, it's also on our social media. And so, pop quiz, raise your hand if you read chapter two this week, all right? Ooh, I'm impressed. All right, give yourselves a hand, because that's impressive, all right? I thought there was going to be like three people, and everyone else would not make eye contact. Like, oh, look, where'd my copy go, you know? So, we're good. All right, uh, as we continue in Joshua today, chapter two, we're going to look at how true faith draws in the unbeliever, but motivates the believer. That's what we see about true faith. It draws in the unbeliever and it motivates the believer. That's what we're going to look at. Let's pray. God, as we open your word right now, would you open our minds, our hearts, our eyes, our wills uh, to learn what you want us to learn, to do what you want us to do, to understand what you want us to understand. And God, may this not be an empty, fruitless time. May we all walk out of here hearing at least one um, word from you in our spirit and, and, and willing to obey and act upon whatever you impress on our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, turn in your Bibles to uh, Joshua chapter 2, if you haven't already. And by the way, just a reminder, if you're here and you don't, you don't have a Bible, uh, we have free Bibles out in the uh, Four you're there at the guest reception area. It's, it's yours as a gift. Just take it. We want to make sure everyone has a Bible. If you prefer to use a digital one, you can download uh, all sorts of Bibles onto your device. So turn on or turn into your Bible. And we're going to read through Joshua chapter 2 in just some sections. We're going to read through the whole chapter. 
and just break it down in smaller sections, and then I'm going to unpack some of what's in there. Uh, we're going to see four qualities of true faith today. Four qualities. Uh, true faith acts, believes, trusts, and motivates. Some of you are like, you just gave us all four. Can you do that? Is that like, does that like break preaching protocol? Yes, I'm giving you all four right now, and then we're going to look at them. True faith acts, believes, trusts, and motivates. So last week, uh, what, we, what, we, what we saw was Joshua was commissioned by God. Uh, he and the Israelites are hanging out on the east side of the Jordan River, getting ready to cross over to the promised land of Canaan. You see this map here that kind of lays that out from an aerial view. That that's, This is where we're at right now. We're just above the Dead Sea. We're way down below the Sea of Galilee. We're hanging, all, we've got about a million or so people hanging out on the east side, ready to cross over, and, 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 and they're doing this as a step of faith in what God has provided. And so that's the scope of the situation. And, and Joshua is going to send in two spies to check out the land. And by the way, just a side note, the last time this happened, Moses sent in how many spies to the promised land? What's the number? Twelve. How many came back with a good report? Two. The other ten were like, oh, whining and complaining. Um, and all the people got really upset. Look, look, look at how we learn our lessons. Joshua secretly sends in two guys. He doesn't tell everybody. He's like, look, you two come here. You're going to go in, just two of you, not 12, you're going to scope out the land because God's going to give us this land, but I want you to do some recon and figure it out, come back and give me a report. And that's what, we, uh, that's what we're going to jump into right now. Look at Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman, Rahab, had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and then the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. The first quality of true faith is true faith acts. Jericho was the most important Canaanite fortress city in that whole Jordan Valley. It was a stronghold. It was directly in the path of the Israelites who were coming into the promised land. And it was known for its impenetrable walls. And so there are a lot of like renderings and diagrams. There's just one like the, they, as they've excavated around Jericho and have tried to uh, look at the topography and the ruins, uh, they think this is kind of what Jericho looked like. Massive outer wall, and then some space, and then another giant inner wall, and then the, the, the epicenter of the city, kind of on a hill. And so this was not a city you could just show up to and take. It was impenetrable. But here's the thing. If God says, I'm going to give you the land, and all the people are going to fall before you, it doesn't matter what kind of wall you have. 
It doesn't matter what size of your wall, the size of your armies. If God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Of course, we know what's going to happen over the next couple weeks as we continue reading. But Joshua acted upon his faith that God was going to give him the land. And so he sent two spies. That was an act of faith. The spies obeyed Joshua. They knew they were taking their lives into their own hands. They knew this was a dangerous mission. What fueled them to go on this mission? There was a faith at work. And that faith allowed them to act. They didn't show up the next day going, oh man, I feel really sick. I think I've got the COVID. I don't think I can make it, you know? No, they're like, yes, sir, here we go. It was faith. That faith acted. And then we see Rahab demonstrating faith. She acted upon her faith in God and his people. And you're like, whoa, you're jumping to conclusions. Don't wait, we'll get there. And we see when she's acting in faith, she did so by hiding the spies. And she did so at great personal risk because this was treason. This was treason to her country. This is betrayal of her people by hiding the spies. And um, she didn't, you know, and then, and then with the spies, she set them up in a good way. She hid them. And then as we're seeing in a minute, she gave them instructions, next steps. She didn't just say like, oh, I'll pray for you or send a pin to a map and say, here's where you want to go. Like she really personally invested. She was acting upon this faith that God was stirring in her. Now, we have to kind of stop and just look at a couple observations and touch base on this. First, it says that these spies showed up to Jericho, and next thing they know, they just happened to be in the house of a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute. So a lot of people have drawn some conclusions about why those men were there. Now, we're not given a lot of detail, but here's what we're not told. We're not told that there was any immorality, that they weren't there to use her services. Uh, It was very common to see prostitution and basically hotels kind of melded together. So it's very likely that uh, not only was she a prostitute, but she had lodging. That's why she had space to lodge them. But uh, the other aspect of of what we believe might have been why those men ended up there is they did not want to make a spectacle of themselves. They kind of wanted to lurk in the dark places and not really be seen. And so it makes sense how they might have, you know, shown up at Rahab's place, but we don't think that there was any funny business going on at that time. So we see that. Secondly, Rahab straight up lied to the king of Jericho, right? And if you really read this, she did a great job. She told a half-truth. Oh, yeah, they showed up, okay? It's kind of like your kids when they try to pull that on you, like, oh, yeah, I did that. I did the chore, but they didn't do all the chore, right? Oh, yeah, they showed up, and then she just flat out lied. Like, oh, yeah, I didn't know where they were from. Liar. I don't know where they went. Liar. They're in your roof, right? And then she gave the king a pep talk. Like, go chase them. You can do it. You can get them. (laughs) Not they went. So what's with the lie thing? Um, Let me just, you're going to hear this a lot from me because I I want to ruin you in a good way with this understanding. Whenever we we read the Bible, it's very important to put this study filter onto your brain, okay? When we read the Bible, there are some passages that we read that are descriptive. They tell you what happened. And there are those that are prescriptive. They tell you what to do or not to do. So, pop quiz. Do you think this is descriptive or prescriptive? What's your guess? Descriptive. Some of you are like, prescriptive, God wants me to lie. No! We're just told that Rahab lied. We didn't see God endorse it. We didn't see God celebrate it. We didn't see God commend her for it. It just said that's what she did. And so this is not prescriptive. This is not you walking out of here going, 
God's okay with me tweaking the truth whenever it's convenient for me. That's not the message here. It just says that's what she did. When, when, when you see that Solomon married hundreds of women, descriptive or prescriptive, guys, you better be careful on this one <laughs> if you want to walk out of this room, right? It's descriptive. God's not saying go do that. So, so whenever you study the Bible and you come to some of those passages, it's good to go, whoa, 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 is this descriptive? God is telling me what happened or is this prescriptive? He wants me to do it or not to do it. So this is a descriptive moment. She could have took a different course of action, but regardless, she didn't tell the truth, and uh, she, she took her life in her hands. So, so it was strong and courageous that she was protecting the spies anyway. She was acting in her faith. Let me ask you, does your faith in Christ lead you to action? If someone shadowed you for the entire next week, shadowed you for an entire month, and, they just, and all they did was take notes of all the actions that you took, that were clearly touching your faith in Christ, how long would that list be? If they just shadowed you, go like, clearly, these are the actions this person took because of their faith in the Lord. And so a true faith will lead us to actions. We're not, we're not just subscribing to some intellectual set of beliefs. Our beliefs in Jesus are evidenced by the fruit that we bear and the actions that we take. True faith is never alone. It always produces works and actions. That's what is meant by the Lord when he spoke in James chapter 2, even using Rahab as an example. In James 2, 24, 25, it says, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Now, the, the tension here. And that little verse, by the way, is all, of, all about the word justify. But it's easily resolved when you understand that in this verse, James isn't saying that your works save you, but that your salvation in Christ will produce works. It won't be alone. That true faith acts out. Faith drives action. A lack of action can mean a lack of faith. So what actions are your faith leading you to take? What works and fruit for Christ flow from your life? Do you serve on missions trips? Do you forgive those who hurt you? Do you lead a life group? Are you leading a ministry? Are you serving? Are you sharing your faith? Are you praying for those who don't know Christ? Are you doing a good job loving others who believe differently than you, look differently than you? Uh, are you finding that you're becoming more generous and faithful to the, the giving of God's work and to people who need help? Uh, are you courageously and compassionately praying with someone who's hurting? Are you using your unique skills from God to, to be used for his kingdom and blessing others? Like, how is your faith translating to action? Because true faith acts. It's true of Joshua, it was true of the spies, it was true of Rahab, it should be true of us. Secondly, true faith believes. Look at Joshua 2, 8-14. Before the men laid down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord, pay attention to what she says, I know that the Lord, not your God, not, the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord 
dried up the water of the Red Sea before uh, you came out of Egypt, before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Did you catch that, what she just said? Now, then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. True faith believes. Joshua sending the spies in was him acting on the belief that God was going to give him the land. The spies, if you notice this, it says, when they, they told Rahab, when the Lord gives us the land, they did not say, when we take the land from you, right? They did not say, when we come and kick your tail and take your land, this is what, they said, when the Lord gives us the land. That is a belief that they are expressing. That when Jericho falls, it's going to be God's doing, not theirs. It's something that God has his hand in. And the biggest example of belief that we see here, of course, is Rahab. Just, just wrap your minds around Rahab for a second. Rahab comes from a polytheistic, right, multiple, multiple gods, pagan background with some of the most horrific sacrifices and practices known to mankind. That's why God is taking the land from them and giving his people the land. Part of the reason, right? And uh, she's living in a culture that's corrupt and extremely immoral, and she's a participant of it. She is a prostitute. So she's a polytheistic, pagan prostitute. She is not what a person would look at and think is the ideal candidate to believe. Yet, God's reputation is preceding him. And think about it. If, she, if, she's, if she's got a hotel, she's got a place of business, and there's men coming and going all the time, they keep talking about what they're hearing through the social media of their day, which was word of mouth. So pre-social media, God was letting everybody know his people are coming and nobody can stop them. And here you have her giving this report that although they are in one of the greatest fortified cities known of the ancient time, the people inside are terrified. They heard about coming out of Egypt. They heard about the plagues. They heard about the Red Sea being parted. They heard about these kings that attacked the Israelites and were totally decimated. And they're going, uh, the, the language she uses is very picturesque. Our hearts, our hearts melted like wax. Our spirits were taken like we're terrified. And as Rahab kept hearing about this God that was leading his people, guess what God was starting to stir in her? Belief. Faith. And so she was very specific by calling the Lord his name. Look what she says in verse 11. The Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She didn't say he's, he's just God of the Hebrews, that, that he just lives in that one temple. 
This, we believe here, is actually a profession of faith in the living God by this polytheistic pagan prostitute. It was true faith that was at work in her. And so, although the incarnation of Christ had not happened yet, this is a very similar to like a Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you read Romans 10, 9, and 10, you see that if you confess with your mouth, right, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Well, she's professing with her mouth of faith in God. And she's believing in her heart that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. And so we believe that this is faith. Uh, if, you, if you fast forward to the New Testament, you'll find this book of Hebrews, and in chapter 11, it's called the Hall of Faith because there's all these men and women that, that are um, identified for their incredible faith in God. And it says in verse 31 of Hebrews 11, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. It didn't say by coincidence. It didn't say by hospitality. It, it didn't say because of compassion. It says by her what? Faith. She did what she did with the spies because there was faith in her. And so not only do we see her come to the Lord, rescued from the looming destruction of Jericho, but she became adopted by God's people. Now God's love is for everyone. But you have to take that step of faith and belief. Belief in him. Belief in his plan. Belief in his son. A true faith in the Lord is a believing faith in the Lord. Have you done that yet? Have you taken that step of faith to believe in Christ Jesus? Look at the history here. Rahab is the first non-Jewish convert mentioned in Scripture. No one else talks about this up to this moment. Everyone else up to this moment has Jewish heritage. This is the first Gentile, that's the term, right? Convert that we see recorded in Scripture in Joshua. And so we see that this faith leads you to believe. Have you believed yet in Christ and God? Continuing, Joshua 2, verses 15 through 22. It says, Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall. Think about that rendering. Think about the walls that you saw, right? Her house is built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go on your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and your mother and your brothers and your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. And then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills, remained there three days until the pursuers returned and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. The third quality of a true faith is that true faith trusts. We see that true faith acts, we see that true faith believes, but Beyond just believe, true faith, trust. 
The spies knew that God was in what was happening and that faith in the Lord led them to trust Rahab. Look, Rahab could have been lying. She could have been set, setting them up. Yeah, why don't you go out here? And boom, there's people waiting. She, she could have sent someone in. She, she could have like, untied the rope if she was letting them out. Like, there's a lot of ways this could have gone bad for the spies, but they were operating in trust in what Rahab was saying because they knew God was in it. There was faith in the midst of this that led them to trust. For Rahab, these guys were in a tough spot. Maybe they were just telling her what she wanted to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when we come back, we're going to come. If we destroy the city, we'll save you, your mom, your dad, your cousin, your parakeet. Yeah, whatever. We got you covered. Just tie this little scarlet thread on your window and we'll, we'll take care of you. They could have been lying, but she tied that scarlet knot on there. She was trusting that what was happening was authentic and real. There was faith in the midst that led her to trust. So she didn't just profess a faith in God. Her actions of trust demonstrated that she possessed a faith in God. And so there was trust in the mix. Now, faith is fascinating because it really is the combination of intellectual beliefs combined with trust. Believing something is true and then trusting that it's true are related but different. Like the, the, the classic example is the chair you're sitting on, the stool I just sat on. All of you came into this room believing the chair would hold you. I just sat down on a stool a second ago believing the stool would hold me. But trust was not exercised until you sat down on the chair. Now, you might have done this and I didn't catch it, but I did not see any of you like check the chair out, right? Hold on, check the legs out. Are they bent? Like, okay, I think we're good. You just sat down because your belief led you to trust in what you were believing. I didn't kind of check this out. I was just like, all right, <laughs> it'd be an embarrassing moment if the stool gave away, but hey, I'm just trusting that what I believe is, is accurate. What the spies did, what Joshua did, what Rahab did, there was belief, intellectual ideas and belief, but then trust was the exercising of it that led to the actions that we see take place. And so as an unbeliever, a person who has not yet placed their faith in Christ, Faith draws you into trusting someone bigger than you. The biggest competitor in our hearts to God is ourself. Self-reliance, pride, ego, our desires. So that's why the, the, the big chasm that needs to be crossed when we come to faith in Christ is not trusting in ourself anymore. I've got this. When, when I come to the end of my rope, when I don't have any money, when all my relationships are burned up, when, when I'm at the, the bottom of the, the hole, that's when I'll trust God. Well, he might get you there, but you'd be pretty smart to come to faith before that happens. Learn earlier to humble yourself and not trust in yourself, but trust in the God who made you, who gave you the brain that can fire off all those electrons and ideas, the, the one who gave you your heart, the senses and feels and the emotions, the one who gave you your body. Like, put the trust in the one who made you and loves you, not in yourself. And so faith leads you, draws you as an unbeliever. We can all tell our stories about how God drew us out of a self-dependent, self-reliant, egotistical, prideful place and transferred our trust to him. And transferred our trust to our Savior who died on the cross 
See, see, see faith trusts. And so it draws, it draws the unbeliever into that place to surrender. But we're not done there yet, right? Some of you have been following Jesus for decades. Tell me about one day you woke up and go, I still don't need, I don't need to trust Jesus anymore. I did that when I gave my life to Christ. I prayed a prayer when I was 10. I did the trusting, I'm done. No, see, see faith continues to be a lifetime of trust every day, every moment of the day, because as we know, life is gonna hurt. Right now, we can all sit down and probably talk about the pain. All of us have a painful place, right? All of us have a relationship, a diagnosis, a physical issue, a mental issue, a social issue. All of us have pain. But do you still trust God? All of us have fears. They just want to invade our mind, our heart, anxiety. But will you still trust God? A lot of us have unanswered questions. God, why did you allow that into my life? God, why did you not take that away from my life? You might not ever get the answer this side of heaven. But will you trust? Just like a little child, when they look to their parent, and all they see is like, Mom and Dad, I want to stick the shiny metal thing in this little hole in the wall. It looks like it would be fun to do, and it looks like it fits. And the parent's going, trust me, you don't want to do that. The kid, the kid isn't capable of understanding why. All, the parent's just a big, mean ogre. You've taken away my fun. You know, no, I know something you don't know, and I'm trying to protect you. Uh, whatever you're going through, God sees what you don't see, right? You know, God's so mean to allow this in my life. God's so mean to not take this away. No, he just sees something you don't see. And... He typically uses pain as his best instructor. So that's when we go back to like, wait, am I supposed to thank God for my pain? Yes. It's so backwards, isn't it? But faith trusts. And so the believer will continue to trust no matter what happens to life. I, I have to, I, I'm, can I just take an extra couple minutes? I've got to go after something really cool. You guys ready for this? We look at the trust thing and we look at the scarlet cord. I don't know if you've ever caught this before, if you've read the book of Jericho, uh, uh, Joshua, when it talks about Jericho in this moment. Because whenever you read the scriptures, you see the gospel popping up. And sometimes you don't miss it. It's nuanced. So here we have Rahab, this polytheistic pagan prostitute who God stirs faith in her. She puts her faith in God. God's people give her this scarlet cord to tie in her window so that when... Joshua, also known as Yeshua, comes to the city that's under the condemnation of God to bring judgment. There is a person in there that is marked by a scarlet cord that will be saved from destruction. It sounds very similar to, there's going to be this angel of death coming over Egypt and he's going to go through all of Egypt, and unless you take the scarlet blood of lambs and put it over your doorpost, you're not going to survive the destruction. They were marked by the scarlet blood. It sounds like the blood of Jesus flowing from the cross as the sacrifice for our sins. That when a person comes to that humble place and says, I'm going to transfer trust for myself to the trust in Jesus, that he is God in the flesh, is dying on the cross for the sins of humanity, 
and then is buried, and then on the third day raised to defeat sin and death, and if I trust in the blood of Christ, I am marked for salvation in a world that's sitting under condemnation, and Jesus, Yeshua, is coming to judge at some point in the future. But all we see is a little string sticking out a window, right? And yet the gospel's so evident. The gospel's right there. Are you a follower of Christ? You've been marked for rescue, for redemption, for salvation, because Jesus is coming to settle accounts with mankind one day. We look, there's chaos all over the world. God's allowing it in his purposes and his plans, but there's a day coming, and those who are marked will be saved. See, this faith draws the unbeliever into that understanding, and it motivates us believers, as believers, to live for Christ. Last two verses, last quality of faith. Joshua 2, 23-24 says, Then the two men returned. Right? They got back to the camp, crossed back over the Jordan. It says, They came down from the hills and passed over, came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. See, true faith motivates. We do not hear that this reconnaissance mission delivered strategic, important information about the terrain and all this kind of stuff. The emphasis was on the encounter with Rahab, which led them to come back with a good report. When the spies come back to Joshua, they summarize Rahab's report, and it completely echoes and fulfills what God said he was going to do. When you go back to Exodus 15, we see this in the scriptures. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You've guided them by your strength to the holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab and all the inhabitants of what? Canaan. Where's Jericho? Canaan. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. What was the language that Rahab used? Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone to your people, O Lord. Pass by to the peoples, pass by whom you purchased. Fast forward in Exodus chapter 22, same thing. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. I will send hornets before you which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. How do you think Joshua felt when he heard this report? What do you think happened to his faith? You think he was more motivated or less motivated to follow through? More motivated. What about the spies? What about the people? See, faith motivates us to continue moving forward and trusting God and believing. And talk about motivating. Look what um, God did with Rahab. He brought faith to a pagan woman who was a prostitute, and not only was she rescued from the destruction of Jericho, she was adopted by God's people. She basically married later a Jewish prince, 
and became part of the royal line of Israel, which traces all the way back to the lineage of Jesus. Rahab, the prostitute of Canaan, Canaan, is in the lineage, the family tree of Jesus, the Savior of the world. Mind-blowing, right? Like when you go back to uh, Matthew and you read through the genealogy of Jesus, it says, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by who? Rahab, right? And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of David, the king. David was the father of Solomon, the wife of Uriah. I mean, look where God moved Rahab. She became the great, great, great grandmother, whatever it is, of David and Solomon and eventually Jesus. Only God could do that. That's so motivating because here's what happens. There are lies in your head and heart telling you that God doesn't want you, there will be a day that God's done with you, that you're not worthy for him to love you and save you and redeem you, and those lies want to take you off a path of living for God and experiencing his goodness in your life. And when you see God's love for, a, for one woman, one unbelieving prostitute in one city, and he didn't send in his people until that woman got saved, until she was rescued. If that's the grace and the mercy of our God, it also applies to you and me. She motivates us to go, no, I can live for God. Yes, I have failed. Yes, I have messed up. Yes, um, God has seen the ugliest moments of my life. Yet, still loves me, still has grace for me, still has mercy for me, still can use me. I don't care what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter how far you have fallen or how bad you have failed. God still can and will use you. Are you hearing me? I don't think you're convinced. Listen, I don't care how far you have fallen, how bad you have failed, God can and still use you. Don't convince yourself otherwise. Don't let other people convince you otherwise. Don't let the enemy convince you otherwise. It's motivating to see what God does with one person who's willing to believe. You know what's so cool about the book of Joshua? It opens up, they're on the other side of the Jordan, it's a book of mercy and grace. The very first story out of, because we're going to see a lot, we're going to talk about this. There's a lot of killing that goes on in Joshua. But the first story, the first story is about grace. It's about mercy. It's about God's compassion for the lost. Very, very motivating. True faith draws in the unbeliever that motivates the believer. Just as Rahab was drawn in by what she heard about the true living God, came to a place of faith, unbelievers continue to hear about the Lord. By the way, who is Rahab really concerned about? Her family. Right? Can you save my family too? One of the convictions that I felt in studying this is uh, I grow weary of praying for my lost family sometimes. Sometimes I go back and go, gosh, I haven't prayed for my family members and weeks or months that they'd come to know the Lord. God convicted me of that. Rahab kind of put me to shame (laughs) in that regard. I need to be more faithful in praying for our lost family members that I have. All right, four qualities of true faith that we saw this morning. True faith acts, it believes, it trusts, it motivates. 
just a moment of personal reflection. I'm going to call up the worship team, hang out with me for a little bit as we turn the corner here. Um, I want you to reflect on what we just read. Uh, I'm going to give you two questions and then a, a final kind of sentence to fill in. Here, here's that. When you look at those four qualities of true faith, true faith acts, believes, trusts, motivates, which one of those four, by God's grace, are you very grateful for that God has made you strong in? Like, you're not bragging on yourself, you're bragging on God. And God really does give me faith, like I really do believe. God, God has really motivated me to continue to, to trust him, even when things are, are, are difficult. Like, which one of those four do you feel strong in by God's grace? And then, of course, the second question, you see this coming, which one do you feel weakest in? Is it the acts? Like, oh, yeah, I, I know a lot about the Bible. I'm just not doing much with it. Or is it just like, man, I, I'm so weak. Like, I believe in God, and then like one little bad thing happens. I get a sunburn. I'm like, oh, God doesn't love me. I'm just really weak and, and trusting. Which one do you want God to grow you in? Here's a little sentence I'm going to put up for you to pray through here in a second. As I reflected on this, I thank God that he has helped me to be strong in what? And I think I still have lots of room to grow when it comes to what? That's between you and God. <laughs> I encourage you to fill that out. Also, just a personal action step. What is an action step you can take in the next 24 hours based on what God put on your heart? Some of you are like, wait, what, in the next 24 hours? Yes. In the next 24 hours, what's one action step you can take based on whatever God is putting on your heart right now? And what are you going to do? When will you do it? And how can someone else help you by helping keep accountable? What that looks like for me sometimes is God will say, hey, like for me, I can say, hey, I, I want to pray for some of these family members of mine in the next 24 hours. And then I might tell Rika, ask me if I prayed for these family members 24 hours from now. <laughs> Just to give me a little good pressure. So with all that being said, I just want us to go to prayer. And as I often do, I just want to give you some time. I want to give you 30, 60 seconds. You can interact with whatever God's put on your heart. Lay this before the Lord. And then I'm going to close this here in a second, all right? So if bowing your head and closing your eyes helps you, feel free to do that. You're not required to do it. But let's just give this next moment to the Lord. Ask him to grow us where we need to grow. Thank him where he's made you strong and to take the next steps. Let's just give it to the Lord. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.